Welcome to the Weekly Squeak, your weekly geeky squeak with me, Christian Chiller. This week I have a roundup of links as always, and then I have an interview with the creators of Crisp AI. Product Hunt of the Year from 2018, actually. It's a smart little uh, background application that adds uh, background noise cancellation to your input and output. So very helpful for all these remote meetings we now have. I am still away in Italy, recording this time on my backup mic again in a co-working space. It seems to be not impossible to ever find anywhere that is quiet in Italy. So I've shut all the windows, but there's still someone, I don't know what they're doing, clanking around doing something or other in the background. So uh, hopefully you won't pick that up. And uh, maybe I should just be using uh, Crisp AI, I suppose. Anyway, more of that later. Let's start off with my links of the week. This is a combination of, uh, of posts, actually. The first one is um, on one of my favorites, DNet, from Steve Ranger. And then the second is actually an official press release from Huawei. Now, one of the interesting uh, outcomes of the America-China sort of ongoing trade war, <laughs> sort of on-off trade war, is uh, that Huawei are struggling to get their products to America, but also get American products. And of course, on smartphones, this includes Android. Android is an American IP. I'm pretty sure that most of the Chinese phone manufacturers, well, the big ones anyway, have had alternatives to to Android in progress for some time. And Samsung, who I know are from Korea, also uh, had Tizen, of course. But Huawei then, in the past couple of weeks, announced that they have been working on their own alternative to Android called Harmony or Hongming OS. Um, I think they're just picking different names there for different markets. Interestingly, they were working on this for some time for some of their other devices. And also, it's worth noting that Huawei have added their kind of own skin to Android for quite some time. It's one of the reasons I stopped using Huawei, because I found their skinning just too too much for me, to be honest with you. But then, interestingly as well, they announced that, and this is where I refer to the official blog post, that they're going to open source it. They don't really go into any great detail about what this means exactly. Uh, what is going to be open sourced? What are the licensing implications? What can people do with it, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. What will this actually mean? But this is all pretty interesting because, of course, other companies have tried to create alternatives to the duopoly of Android and iOS. Even a company like Microsoft, granted, that was some time ago in a different, different setting, and they were trying to maybe do too much with it. Um, but. Is the time right for another option? Is the time right for another option that I guess will operate much like Android and it can be applied to different devices? Or will it be open source and purely for Huawei devices? Will we have a third operating system targeting what is granted a very large hardware vendor, but a very large hardware vendor in very particular parts of the of the world? So it's interesting to see what happens here. I'm really interested to see when we actually get some source code for Harmony OS 2 to see kind of what's going on under the hood. Is it just some strange Android fork or is it something completely new? And of course, Google has also been working on Fuchsia OS, which doesn't really help um, Huawei's problems, but there's another kind of bubbling under the surface uh, option that no one's really sure about quite what it's going to be used for for some time too. 
And it's worth noting before anyone says anything, there are, of course, other options out there for operating systems for your phone. KaiOS, uh, Sailfish, uh, two that I can definitely think of, but they're all very, very minority market shares at the moment. Next, another new interesting piece from Darren Pollock on Decrypt. The number of publishers on Brave, Brave is the, it's a a Chromium-based browser, um, been around for a little while, sort of put privacy first, but also has this interesting crypto component. It's become very big in the crypto space where I work a lot in at the moment because it has these BAT tokens, these tokens where you can... um, you can basically be paid and pay for content. But this always requires people to sign up for it. And Brave has been doing quite well recently. The numbers have jumped up 1,200% since mid-2018, including actually some reasonably high-profile publishers now as well, including Twitter. You can actually uh, pay people's tweets if you, if you like what you read. I would really want to get on and, and try this, but I think it's only open to US residents right now, which is annoying. But I may go and have another look soon to get a bit of a hand on because I find the whole concept quite fascinating. I would like to actually pay some of the content creators, but I'd also like to be paid. So, <laughs> so uh, it's something I really want to investigate and dig into a bit more. Well, let's, let's dig into these numbers a little bit more. So this is based on Reddit user data or data and data from backgrowth. I mean, we don't know how how trusted they can all be. But the number of Brave Rewards publishers sat at just under 19,000 in mid-July 2018. And now they are nearly at, or actually just over a quarter of a million. Um, and including, again, some large publishers. So it's it's coming. Uh, it sort of popped out of nowhere, Brave, from this minority a browser to suddenly become quite popular. I think they solved the mobile syncing problem. They got a lot of the kind of extras they were adding on to Chrome working quite well. And um, a lot of people are getting a bit fed up with Chrome and a lot of the alternatives um, are now growing in popularity. I've heard numerous people recently saying that they use Edge again. <laughs> now it is Chromium-based and cross-platform. So the browser wars are not over yet. And finally, in my new technology, well, not new technology, this is about Hacker News, which isn't new, but it's not old, if that makes any sense. It's not vintage. Well, (laughs) okay, it's still current. Let's just go with that definition. This was a strangely charming post on The New Yorker from Anna Vina about the lonely work of moderating Hacker News. And, And I think the title grabbed my attention because there's been a lot of these posts recently around, um, the, the kind of mechanical Turkification, if that can be a word, the, the the horrible underpaid workers sitting in darkened rooms moderating AI services and moderating horrible content on platforms like Facebook. And I thought it was going to be another one of those posts. But it really wasn't, actually, because the moderators of Hacker News, in fact, the only employers of Hacker News at its parent company, Y Combinator, are two seemingly ageing kind of technologists who almost act like... Uh, an odd couple, the sort of classic married odd couple. Um, And it's quite a wonderful post sort of hearing about how they got into it and the fact that this website that, I I don't know if it still is, but was kind of what all the cool hip people in Silicon Valley would refer to every day is run by these sort of 
aging, I almost imagine them slightly overweight, grey-haired men <laughs> who, who got into it via Lisp programming and seem quite old school in, in some ways. And actually, they don't really let on to the fact that this, they don't, they, they find it, well, moderating these sorts of sites can often be quite grueling and they occasionally mention that sometimes it gets tedious, but they actually seem to quite enjoy what they're doing and manage to handle it fairly well most of the time. Um, I don't know if the article just decided not to go into that kind of side of things or they were just genuinely positive about it, but it actually seems they quite enjoy the experience. It's sort of the the counter story of moderating a site to the usual stories you get which is quite interesting that there's also some insights in there of course into the persona of some of the people online which we all know about just another kind of uh confirmation of that unfortunately about how obnoxious people can be and how people just argue about the most bizarre petty pathetic things so much but anyway <laughs> if you are interested in hearing the story behind this bizarre um page that looks like it's still stuck in the 90s but it still remains very, very popular and how it is moderated because it is and how a little bit of how it works because actually there is some technology behind it despite it just looking like some kind of online form that does next to nothing. Then uh, it's a wonderful little post. It's a long read, so it gets into into some, some great details there and I really enjoyed reading this, so I hope you do too. Two posts now from Computing History. I love Computing History. Another nice plug for the first episode of the Enthusiastic Amateur Podcast with Sinclair Target of the 2-Bit History Blog, where we talk about computing history, just that. And uh, I think at least this post is probably one that we could have uh, discussed, one that he could have written and possibly gone into a little bit more detail because it's quite short. Something from Mental Floss by Virginia Hughes, The History of Control or Delete. Um, in 2013, Bill Gates admitted Control-Alt-Delete was a mistake and blamed IBM. I don't really know why it's a mistake. I mean, it's a weird keyboard combination, but it's no worse than Command-Option-Escape like it is on a Mac, really. And this key combination was created in 1981 by David Bradley. Uh, yes, working at IBM. And it was basically a shorthand way of trying to restart a machine after a crash because uh, they crashed a lot. And this keyboard combination basically bypasses the memory tests, which are the bit that takes a long time in uh, computers rebooting in those days, and just resets the machine. I think maybe where Bill Gates gets annoyed is that as obviously Windows gets put on top of, uh, of this later, this is pre-Windows, then I suppose they have to kind of figure out what to do because um, you can't really just reset the system. Control or delete on a modern, modern Windows machine kind of brings up a couple of different options. Uh, restarting crashed applications, task managers, and a whole bunch of other things, not just resetting the machine, bash, like that. So I suppose it was more that users had got used to the key combination and Windows and Microsoft kind of had to accommodate it, even though they didn't want to, which is probably why Bill Gates was so annoyed. And the wonderful thing about it is it apparently took him about 15 minutes to code <laughs> this key combination that so many people know. And it took one programmer an absolute minuscule amount of time to implement. Wouldn't we all love that kind of uh, badge under our belt? And finally, another piece on computing history called Was Email a Mistake by Carl Newport? Another New Yorker article, actually. This is a nice little trip down memory lane, talking about how uh, 
it kind of uses email as a as a way to discuss synchronous versus asynchronous communication. The way that we traditionally used to all get together in a room or maybe on a phone conference and talk to each other or at each other <laughs> or argue with each other at the same time. This is sometimes effective, but sometimes difficult to arrange. And various companies, and there's a wonderful uh, image or a wonderful image painted, shall we say, of the old CIA offices. And you may have seen these in some other places. I seem to remember these in maybe where my dad used to work in a bank as well. This way that you would have uh, messenger tubes sending messages backwards and forwards on paper between people. I guess there's also fax and, and a whole bunch of other precursors to email where people didn't have to all get together to talk, but they could send messages to each other, which is sort of synchronous, but not completely. It's sort of slow synchronous, I suppose, but still sometimes that's kind of the best way. And then when email came along, it enabled people to not all have to get together in one place to discuss something. And I suppose in its early days, we all, it fulfilled that task very well. And then, of course, it became kind of overused. And now we have this plethora of alternatives to it. And we're kind of almost back where we started, where many people are now saying we should just have more meetings again. So uh, go figure. But anyway, <laughs> if you're interested in at least reading a little bit about email's heyday, and I do remember when it was maybe better used or less used i'm not sure it's hard to say uh and i suppose there were not really any other options anyway um and i also remember kind of what we used to do before it so um barely maybe maybe i'm imagining things maybe i just didn't have a job where we needed to talk to each other it's a great little uh post actually uh, and with some wonderful imagery that goes into great detail about how synchronous versus asynchronous conversation can work and collaboration can work, some of the, the tools that have sprung up to facilitate this, and I guess where we can go from here. Um, and I suppose as we're all drowning in emails and notifications right now, this is an important thing to sort of step back and think about what are we actually trying to accomplish in this and what would serve that purpose best. I hope you enjoyed my links for the week. And now I have my interview for the week. I'm probably going to murder the surname here with David Bagdasarian of Crisp AI, Product Hunt of the Year 2018, a awesome little uh, application that sits in the background of your Mac and your Windows and soon coming to iOS. And it removes background noise from input and output audio. Perfect for all those synchronous slash asynchronous communica communications we spoke about earlier. I hope you enjoy the interview. So I'm David. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Crisp. So Crisp is a, is a, is a very simple app. It, it does one job, you know, one job, and it, it does it really great. Um, so um, it's, it's a software you download to your laptop, be it a Mac or Windows, and it gives you, it, it registers itself as a virtual microphone and a virtual speaker and gives you a button. You click the button and the background noise disappears in calls like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I had background noise at, at my side, which, which I don't have right now, um, I would click the button and you wouldn't hear the background noise, but you would hear my voice mm -hmm. when I speak. Okay. And uh, by using your Chris virtual speaker, uh, I, I, if you had background noise from your side coming to me, I would click the button and the background noise would disappear for me. 
Okay. So that's that's what Chris does, and it does it in a in a in innovative way. So we use machine learning to uh, distinguish what's background noise and what's human speech, and then separate them in real time. Okay, why why did you start this in the first place? <laughs> a great question. So I, I used to work at, uh, at a company called Twilio. So it's a communications yep. platform. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I used to work there, and I'm originally from Armenia. So uh, I, I always enjoyed, you know, uh, spending my uh, summers in Armenia while, while I worked there. So because of the time time zone, you know, time difference, uh, I in you know, I sometimes I, I was ending up in situations where I need to take like a call with my team, but I was, you know, in in you know, a lot, lot of background noise, maybe in cafes or uh, music in the background. So, so I, I wish there was a button to you know, exactly what Chris does, right? Uh, but I didn't have experience in uh, audio and machine learning. And when I, when I met my friend, who is my co-founder and CTO, uh, Arto, uh, you know, he really liked the idea. And so he, is, he holds a PhD in math. He assembled a team of, uh, you know, people who, who, he, who he did his PhD with in the past. And after some time, no, after a year, actually, after a year of the first conversation, we decided to start a company. So I left William, we, we started working on CRISP. Okay. And, I mean, the, the idea is simple, but it's a very good idea. Are there, are there competitors doing something similar or are some of the, the VoIP applications that people commonly use attempting to do this themselves? I mean, or why not, I guess, would be the, the question if there aren't. Yeah, uh, so I'm sure there are some VoIP companies are trying to do this, and I'm sure bigger companies are trying to do this. Actually, I know that for a fact. Mm. And there are some competitors that, uh, and by saying, like, look, noise cancellation is an old problem. It's not new, right? Uh, the approach of applying AI to it is comparably new. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, are, we don't know any other company that has been successful in uh, applying it in, a, in the right way, so to say. Uh, you know, the, the general approach is the same. You, you, you collect a lot of background noise, you know, they, they, as a data collection, and you collect a lot of, you know, uh, not noisy human speech. And then when you mix together, you get a lot of synthetic, synthetic noisy speech as you're training data. But that's not enough. Like if you if you have you know a, a machine learning experts in your team, you can get to some level uh, of performance. But the problem is that human ears are very sensitive to to error. Right? We can detect uh, when the human voice is is impacted by noise cancellation. So we can we are very sensitive to artifacts, and it's very difficult to make that leap from uh, by just training. Uh, a neural network with that data to optimizing it so that there are no artifacts that are uh, that are annoying for for people. So uh, our IP and our advantage is that we made that leap by uh, uh, because you know we had you know seven PhDs in the team who have mathematical and physics background. So we somehow were able to do it better than others do it. Mm. And. I found it interesting. You say you're doing noise collect, you do data collection on background noise, which is 
<laughs> kind of, well, you know, it, it's something that nobody wants, but then in, in your case, it's something you do uh, because you need to analyze it. Yeah, kind of we don't, we do, we don't do it from Chris. Uh, we never, yeah. uh, we never collect any audio of end user okay. uh, from, from Chris. Okay. So now we have, we have spent actually three years developing these algorithms and, uh, the, the noise data that we have collected, we have over 10,000 distinct noise mm. uh, noises in our collection. Now, we have collected from different places. Uh, we both, we, you know, there are some public data sets in the internet, uh, but we never do it from the CRISP application. And we, we, and that's very important for us. Like, uh, yeah, not for sure. Uh, yeah. CRISP, CRISP yeah, never collects that. And yeah. it's very well articulated in our yeah. privacy policy. How... The thing I'm fascinated here because a lot of projects you hear that use um, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence are usually based in the internet, um, so they have access to vast amounts of data to process. But yours is mostly running as a desktop application, and it's not that large. Um, so I mean, the, the downloaded file is less than 100 megabytes. Um, so if you're not sending the, the data anywhere, uh, how are you managing to kind of have all this machine learning local on a client side? Well, that's, that's a great question. And that's one of the struggles we have been dealing with in the, in the three years, right? So our first models were quite large and they were, you wouldn't be able to run them on the CPUs. Uh, you know, you can run them on NVIDIA GPUs. That's fine, but that's not you know, widely deployed on laptops, right, for the communications use case. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned 100 megabytes. Actually, we have three different machine learning models mm. in that. So our model is 30 megabyte right now. And um, and we, we managed to design it so that uh, it can run on, on general purpose CPUs, right? Mm. Uh, that's That's one of the advantages that our technology has. In the same time, though, like if you want to do it, like, and, and the reason we can do it also is that because we process maximum two streams on, on a laptop. If you want to do it on scale, like if you, if you, you know, I don't know, like, let's say if you want to deploy it in Verizon or in Twilio, right, you would need to process thousands, ten thousands, and maybe more streams in parallel. For that, you would need to run them on GPUs. Uh, we still, we have the such technology as well, but it's not our primary business. My point is, yes, it's uh, it was very difficult to uh, bring it down to this size, uh, and actually, our model also runs on phones. Uh, like pretty soon, we are going to have a crisp uh, for iPhone. Uh, but yeah, so it, it took us a lot of engineering uh, engineering time okay. to do that. Okay, and I, I I have a Mac, so I haven't tried the Windows version. But the nice thing is, you do seem to also run pretty natively. So um, it adds audio input and output kind of in the proper way. It doesn't sort of hijack your current audio. Um, and you you know, for example, I, I use a program to record interviews called Audio Hijack that takes advantage of this in many ways to enable me to record. Google Hangouts and and Skype and things like that. So I'd be able to continue to use that with Crisp because it does everything the right way. And I'm I'm assuming you do something similar on Windows. Um, so again, how did you manage to just make everything 
run so well, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it took us six months, which is, which is a long time yeah. for me. I'm an engineer by training, right? Uh, to build a Windows audio driver. And apparently it's so difficult to do. And, and there are only like few experts in the world. And <laughs> we were happy to hire one of them. Well, this is why I can't give up my Mac because Audio Hijack <laughs> is only available on Mac and it's amazing for recording podcasts. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, we wanted to, because, look, when we started the company, we, we, we thought that we would license this to bigger companies like OIP companies and apps, right? But we early on, we, we saw that working with them is going to be very slow for a startup. Uh, like as any startup, speed is very, like your pace is very important. Mm. So, uh, so we came up with the idea of Chris because it would be, a way to give this value to end users without being dependent on others, right? So, uh, so yeah, like that's the idea of virtual microphone and virtual speaker. Um, and yeah, we, first we did Mac version. Uh, we put it on Product Hunt. Mm-hmm. It, the, the recognition was pretty amazing. It became product of the year on Product Hunt. And we immediately know, knew that, uh, you know, people want something like this, right? So we started working on Windows. Uh, and here, here we are. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, like, there are a lot of engineering problems uh, if you want to solve this on a virtual microphone and speaker layer. Like, latency is a problem. Like, there are yep. so many you know, compatibility issues with apps and then with drivers. And, and we are spending a lot of time on fixing these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the other kind of technical thing I was interested in is you, you don't claim to work with every audio application. You claim to work with a lot. Um, so is it more that uh, some of the ones that you may not work with, I mean, I haven't found one yet, but I'm sure they're there. <laughs> are, are they the ones that um, don't really respect the operating system themselves so you can't really kind of feed in with the framework you normally feed in with because if an application respects the the audio settings of the operating system then I'm, i guess you work so uh, no actually the reason is dif- different okay. uh, so we work with any application today right okay. which allows choosing ah. or selecting a microphone okay. from inside the app now, uh, in I think in like in a month or so, we'll, Chris will also support becoming a system microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to system settings and use uh, choose Chris. And when we do that, we, we will say that for sure that we will support all the applications. Uh, okay. Now we, we can't say that because there are some apps that don't allow that. Okay. I can't. I don't know which ones they are. I don't think I ever use them, but that fortunately, but anyway, <laughs> I use like, them. Well, external if you want to do like WhatsApp, uh, the desktop client, oh, it doesn't, okay, doesn't okay. do like audio settings. Okay, yeah. okay, fair enough. I've never tried that one yet because I use external microphones a lot. So it's important. So, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> All right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, now the the one that interests me the most with um, so you you have a couple of examples on the website of. Uh, background sounds, street, uh, screaming child, airport, coffee shop, scrum meeting. Uh, <laughs> background sounds of a scrum meeting. I'm not sure what they are. Uh, conferencing. But so the one that interests me the most because you did mention earlier that you extract the background noise from the voice speaking, but especially say coffee shop. I mean, coffee shop has some other sounds as well. 
But there will be some of those instances where there may be other people speaking quite close by. Can you also cope with those or are they a bit more challenging right now? Uh, they are certainly very, very challenging yeah. compared to background noise. So today, Chris, what Chris does is it separates what's non-human speech from human speech. Mm. Okay, so when you say background noise, it's non But if there is a chatter in the background, depending how far it is, it can be recognized as a you know as a cafeteria noise or bubble noise. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the technical term for it. So uh, and I, I can't really tell you you know how far it, it must be because mm-hmm, you know the, sure. the algorithm is you know it's, it's it's very difficult to reason about that. So uh, that's the current uh, implementation of CRISP. But at the same time, we're working on a technology now which we call mute other voices, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which will allow you to only leave your voice like no matter who is speaking around you it will uh, only your voice will go through Mm -hmm. basically and the background noise Mm -hmm. will be cancelled as well right so um, I I think that's going to be quite transformational uh, for the communication like especially when you do it from mobile you know you're in airport there is an announcement in the back and all, all of that so you can always very confidently take your calls and speak by, by being sure that only your you know you sound professional mm-hmm. and we are you know we have the technology in our lab already uh and we are working to productize it and ship in, inside crisp okay okay and and there it's gonna you know adapt to your voice basically okay that's that's mm-hmm. the idea and and just actually uh on that i think you mentioned it briefly earlier as well I haven't tried Crisp yet with a with an actual conversation with somebody. I just tried it to see how it how it worked and how it sounded to myself. But um, is there any noticeable latency between the person talking and then the Crisp signal? Uh, you you won't notice that. Okay. So it, it doesn't impact the conversation at all. Uh, but if you start measuring the yes. latency, yeah, there will, there will be yeah. latency of uh, you know twenty to forty millisecond. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, in the conversation. No, I mean these things are amazing. I, I've been doing audio production for some time. I remember when like, recording a guitar with effects on latency was. <laughs> always there and then at some point it just it went and it never came back and <laughs> most machines these days can yeah can it's <laughs> yeah 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 so you know uh going back to your question about you know how we run this on cpus mm. right? one one thing that i wanted i uh, would like to mention is that you know we have been working with intel for for a year already mm. uh, with their engineers and you know intel is uh, in their new chipset has a AI accelerator mm-hmm. chip inside, and we did our algorithms to run on this accelerator. Mm-hmm. And, and the cool thing is, uh, you know, one, once that chipset is launched, you know, uh, so we will offload all the algorithms into that AI accelerator, and then um, you know, the CPU won't be used at all. Okay. So that's that's very cool, and that's where the world is moving. Right? Yeah. Every, every device is going to have yeah. something like that. But on that note, so you said you're working on a, an iOS or iPhone, I suppose is more useful version. Um, I mean, you've exclusively so far worked with Intel, but that's a switch to, to ARM style. So has that been challenging or? Uh, no, not really. So, you know, when you implement a machine learning algorithm, 
at the end of the day, all of them, most of them, you know, are simply matrix multiplications mm-hmm. under the hood, right? So, and there, there, there are libraries, there are, you know, algorithms that, that make that efficient for, 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 for your target platform. So we use, you know, libraries for Intel to do that. And we also have the implementation for ARM. Mm-hmm. And, and most of the, most of the phones have also a, a AI accelerator on them already, like supplied by Qualcomm. So that's, uh, for, for Apple is different. But yeah, so we are we are going to leverage these uh, chips to make them power efficient and fast and so on. Okay. And and so let's, yeah, but, oh, but it won't. It hasn't been a challenge for us. Okay, no, no worries. I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure just because you mentioned it. I wasn't sure how much you were leveraging it, but um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess the bigger issues there are going to be things like uh, it's just a more well. We say smartphones are more restrained, but they're really not these days, <laughs> apart from on battery. That's the only real limitation these days. Some of them are more powerful than some laptops. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if you ask whether we can, you know, pour, you know move this tech technology into head, headsets, yeah, or headphones, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not today. That would be nice, but yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, noise cancelling headphones and things exist, and they have their their, their issues, but um, they're okay. Yeah. Well, they, they, yeah, it's it's for, but the use case is very different yeah, for them, for sure, right? For sure. for, Okay, so let's talk about the the business. It's uh, interesting. I, I've seen a couple of. I think the the pricing, as far as I'm aware, is relatively new. So I guess it's still um, a it little is, bit, yeah. uh, a little bit um, maybe not consistent on a couple of places of the website. So free, you can listen without noise. Uh, pro, you could speak and listen without noise. So you can make other people's audio better. It on free, but on pro, you can uh, make your audio better. Um, would yeah. be that would be the thing there. I also saw in a in a support section, um, that yeah, I think, um, I think maybe I mis- misread this. It, it sounded like it said removing noise cancelling from other participants, and I, I thought that meant, um, like you could you could kind of almost just improve their audio for them, but I guess you're just improving what you're hearing, not them. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This is for you. <laughs> this is basically the listening part. Yeah, right? for you sure. Can listen. Yeah, for yep, sure. Yep. And then, and then, of course, uh, on from that, you have Teams, which is just sort of centralizing billing, and then you start to look at this uh, enterprise and call centers, which is where I think it will get interesting, and it's probably going to be your main revenue in the long run, trying to actually get. I guess Zoom and Skype and all these companies to just basically license your algorithm. <laughs> I, I suppose. No, not really. That, that's no? not okay. how I see the world. Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't. I don't. I don't see you know uh, licensing out this technology okay. to bigger uh, bigger companies. Okay. We see this as a separate business. Actually, okay. like Crisp. Crisp is about making people professional. Yeah. And you know, uh, noise, <laughs> noise cancellation is just one part of it, yeah. right? So we have we have a very you know long list of things that we are going to add to crisp and it's not only going to be about voice and, uh, yeah. and audio so like the, the whole idea of crisp is to you know r- remote work is everywhere today, yeah, yeah. You know? and then companies are embracing that, that that's a fact right and we believe that with these ai accelerators being on every you know you know personal device is going to enable disruptions into how people 
uh, work remotely, right? How professional they are. Uh, so we, we see crisp in that in that space, and we, we see adding a lot of value directly to users and enterprises. Mm. And our business is going to be uh, just like as it's today. So we are going to, uh, you know, sell crisp licenses to enterprises and to users. And actually talking about kind of going enterprise and, and team-wide, I know personally from trying to use it to record that audio is not great on Android, but have you at least experimented with an Android version? A recording? Yeah. So you said you're working on an iOS prototype. Have you thought about an Android yeah. as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Well, we have it working on Android okay. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, the phone version, crisp phone, is going to be a bit different. Yeah. Uh, and then the reason is you can't be a virtual yeah, sure. microphone there, right? It's, it's going to have a, a bit of a different yeah. uh, form there. Uh, but it, it's going to support both. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know I've, I've tried and I currently have a problem with my, I think uh, the latest Android OS breaks USB-C audio. <laughs> Whereas the previous oh, version, it? it worked fine. So there you go. So, <laughs> don't, don't update. Yeah. So yeah, sometimes uh, Android is weird with audio. It's kind of annoying. Okay. Um. And I think I think I got this right. But you're based. Uh, you you're sort of based in Armenia, or some of the team, or. Uh. Yeah. We have two 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 offices. Yeah. We have one in in Berkeley, okay. uh, uh, California, and and the, but the bigger office is in Armenia. Okay. Uh, and I, I share my time between the two yeah. offices, mostly in Armenia, because our product in engineering yeah. is here yeah. now. No, for sure. That, that's a uh, usual setup, isn't but, it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have business and sales in the yeah. uh, US, yeah. and most of the enterprise part where you see, right, enterprise yeah. is, is, is being driven by the US. Team. Yeah. Okay. Now that makes sense. Um, it was just interesting because uh, a few years ago, I actually went to an Armenian uh, tech uh, evening in Berlin. And uh, I've written a lot around um, startup scenes in countries kind of bordering Europe. Um, yeah. I've done Ukraine, Belarus, uh, a lot of the Balkans. And next on my list are Georgia and Armenia. Um, so you know, what, what's it like running a, a tech startup in Armenia? Well, you know, uh, so <laughs> I, I think… Well, what's it like running half uh, a tech startup? You know? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, the, the tech scene is booming here. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I were to say it very short, sure, that that's what I would say. And uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of excitement, mm. uh, and there are a lot, there are a lot of uh, you know, Armenia historically had a lot of uh, good uh, mathematical and physics mm. uh, uh, you know institutions, and many of them have, have been transformed into you know uh, growing uh, engineers, mm. right? Mm. So. We have some, we have a very good engineering school here, mm-hmm. and uh, and for for some time the companies have been working mostly as outsourcing companies. Yeah. You know, in, yeah. in the last twenty yeah. years, but yeah. now in the last I would say five to six years, new startups have been emerged yeah. here. Yeah. And I, I think one of the biggest one is Pixar. I don't know if you heard about them. They're they're pretty big in uh, their mobile app. Uh, for, oh yeah, yeah. No, I think they were at that night actually. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so new startups are emerging, and this is going to continue because uh, when you look at the new generation, uh, like and what, what kind of education mm-hmm. they are getting, uh, 
uh, I, I have no doubt that in the next 10 years, uh, there are going to be billion dollar companies mm-hmm. coming out of uh, this, uh, this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, and this combination of having like you know multinational sort of setup, right? Like U.S. and Armenia, mm-hmm. I think it plays, you know, it's 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 the best setup here because you you have access to you know, markets such as U.S., but mm-hmm. you also have uh, access to the engineering pool mm-hmm. and, and and the talent pool here in Armenia. Yeah. So we we as we as a company are very happy with this. Okay. Good. 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 Um. And is it is it is it Relatively, uh, it, it sounds like a lot of uh, countries are kind of the the east southeastern fringe of Europe. In that you had um, good talent. Um, I'm not sure it was mm-hmm. Armenia was never part of the USSR, was it? No, but oh, USSR. Oh, it was. It course. was. It was okay. So yeah, a similar yeah, story yeah. in that it got a lot of good technical education, and for many years, people were working in outsourcing, getting really good experience, and then just now. All those people are a bit bored with uh, <laughs> with working for other people and trying their own things, and it's a really good time to to be. Yeah, doing, it's, yeah. I blame TechCrunch for that. <laughs> you know, they, they read all these articles. <laughs> yeah, all it's successful same. startups. And <laughs> it's also interesting because Ukraine, for example, I went to Ukraine two and a half years ago, and they said, "Oh yeah, we've got great engineers, great products, but we don't know how to sell." And then I came back a year later, and they'd learned how to sell. And <laughs> they move. Everyone's yeah, moving yeah. very, very quick. It's, look, it's the same challenge. Yeah. Right? If you don't have access to the international, you know, if you, if you don't have experience with international business, right, or not international, just businesses, like, like how business is done in the U.S., uh, it's it's very hard to sell from here. So that's yeah. why, like, yeah. for us, it's it was very important that I have spent my nine years in the U.S. and I, I know how the business works there. And our chief operating officer, he's based in Berkeley. You know, he, know, he knows how. So there, is, there must be a combination yeah, of these two. Sure. Otherwise, it won't work. Yeah. It will no, be very that, hard. That's, it, I think it's uh, – I, I love – this is the reason I love going and speaking to people in these sorts of countries because, you know, when you go to Germany, France, UK, even the U.S. to a certain extent, but it just obviously is so well-known – you know, they have enough of their own market, so they could sometimes be a little lazy. Um, yeah. Whereas the smaller, yeah. newer countries, they have to do- go international from day zero. So they exactly, can do much more interesting exactly. things. Um, that's, yeah. that's so true. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> hey, by the way, there is going to be, uh, you know, October is a tech month here in Argentina. Okay. And there are a lot of, lot of conferences and actually World Congress of Information Technology, oh. WCIT, is going to be held in Armenia. So Brilliant. a lot of international guests. So if you plan to do that and yeah. you know, be visiting I'll, I'll Armenia at some point. I did have some contacts <laughs> for people to follow up with in Armenia and Georgia. Uh, October is a busy time for conferences. Yeah. It may or may not clash with something else, but um, I'll double check because that would be interesting and it'd be a good time to come because it started getting colder yeah. in Northern yeah, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, so just to wrap up, uh, what's the plan for the next six months? Next six months? Well, we have a very intense technology and product roadmap. Um uh, I, I can't disclose too much on, on our enough. secret things that we're going to launch, <laughs> but mobile is definitely going to be mm-hmm. there in the next six months, right? For Android and for iOS. Uh, and Crisp is going to, Crisp 
desktop is going to get just better mm-hmm. in its quality and, and everything as, as, a, as a product. And uh, we have a number of partnerships that we are going to execute uh, in the enterprise uh, and as well as uh, consumer podcast, post-podcasting space. So uh, stay tuned. And that was my interview with David from Crisp AI. If you have enjoyed the show, you can find previous episodes at christychiller.com slash podcast. You can sign up for the newsletter that accompanies this podcast at christianchiller.com slash newsletters. And you can find many more of the projects that I am working on at christianchiller.com too. I'm going to keep my kind of... uh, exit words brief today and just say that you can find all the various things I've been working on there recently. Um, it's still a little bit of a lull in getting my post published, but um, I have some more coming soon, I promise. But you could still find some of the other projects I have been working on in the meantime. And I'm about to enter some events again soon. So take a look at my events page to see where we can maybe meet up and have a uh, a a conversation, synchronous or asynchronous, however you prefer. And uh, if you have been, until the next time, thank you very much for listening.